wild. He passed away from mercury poisoning like the <laughs> right. second before he got shot. Right That's crazy. Shot. He took his mercury tablet right at the start of the show. It was kicking in right before John Wilkes Booth yeah. came in. And welcome to Stream of Consciousness, a radio program made possible by 90.3 KRNU. Uh, I'm Ben Kulat. I'll be your host. Uh, the general idea of the show is every week we're going to bring on a friend or colleague and talk about things that are interesting to them. For this first uh, setup, I've got my friend Maggie here. Maggie is a senior chemistry major. Yep. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, and we're talking about, unsurprisingly, chemistry. Go figure. What else do I do? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the general idea of the program is we talk about things that we're curious about, things that we have a lot of information that we don't generally get to use uh, elsewhere, and just things that we find interesting and fun. We can just talk about some cool chemistry concepts I like. Yeah. Um. Oh, let me think. Okay. Do you want to hear about um, a cool spicy quantum fact? Uh molecules wiggling or uh f the funky gallium project that i got is the um quantum fact the one that i've already been introduced to the bird one the bird one the bird one the bird yeah. one i think the bird one would be absolutely wonderful and when yeah. i had the idea for this and the getting bird you, one? I, I wanted the bird one <laughs> yeah I'll be that's honest. Fair. um okay so context um in chemistry like you don't have to get as much of this if you're a Bachelor of Arts major, and I think that's terrible because quantum was one of my favorite classes ever. Uh, if you ever take a, uh, take more chemistry, inorganic and quantum chemistry are the best. Just have, hands down. Um, when we took this class, our my professor, Dr. Chung, had like uh, sent out like some papers and some YouTube videos of just kind of cool stuff and like cool new research. Um, and one of those was uh, this sort of newly emerging field. It's called quantum biology. Um, and the video he sent us had this super cool, pretty recent paper. I can't remember what the year was. It might have been like 2019 or something. But essentially, like, um, you know how, like, birds kind of know where to go for migration. They know how to get from point A to point B to not freeze to death. Yeah, and, like, the whole idea is, like, a homing pigeon. Like, one yeah. a pigeon that can always find their way home. Yeah. The way they found that that uh, is a part of that is in, like, the eyes of these birds, um, they've got, like, proteins. Obviously, it's a living creature. Everything's made out of proteins. But what they found very specifically is, like, on these proteins in their eyes, there's, like, um, I'm going to call it a radical and I'll find it. They have like a loose radical. So what that is, is on these proteins, there's just an individual electron that can kind of, that's just on its own. It is unpaired, which like tends to be kind of unstable, um, that can kind of move around on this protein. So it's on the protein, but it can basically jump between different atoms being unpaired, moving around the kind of like the outer hydrogens. Yeah getting a feel for that yeah it's not binding with anything like it's not forming a chemical bond it's just kind of loose and it can move um but kind of depending on like any electrostatic forces or any magnets um and what they found is that 
uh, so you know how the Earth has an inherent magnetic field. Yep. They found that depending on where the bird is relative to just the Earth and its magnetic field, that radical will move to different specific parts of the protein. And so this kind of implies that, like, in these creatures, in, like, these birds' eyes, like, they can kind of see in some way. I don't know if it's, like, an, we don't know if it's an actual, like, visual thing or if it's just kind of a, uh, yeah, the, ele- the protein's electron says go left, so we're going that way. But, like, they can tell where they, that's how they know where they are is because of, like, the Earth's magnetic field and, like, these ele- loose electrons on the proteins of their eye. So, essentially, random protein in their eye, probably a bunch of them. It's probably not just one yeah. in one cell. It's probably a bunch and a bunch of different cells that can sense it. <laughs> that electron will move around. And the free radical, it's not, like, just staying in one place all the time. No. It's moving around constantly. No, and it gets extra funky when you get into, like, the actual quantum of it. It's been a hot minute. I should have reviewed or, like, refreshed it again before this. But, um, like, if you've heard of superposition, it's kind of technically in a bunch of places at once. I think, like, by having this go there, it, like, pushes it into some areas more than others. So it's not just, like, a ball sitting on a protein. It's, like, kind of a funky math thing, I guess, where it's, like this is the general range of where it can be and by putting the magnetic field here that we move that range so kind of it's like holding a hmm. you ever play with the perplexus it's like a, a big plastic ball with a maze inside and then a little marble yeah so even though the you can twist the perplexus the ball is always like kind of in the bottom general area because that's where it's being drawn to <laughs> but you can also like it'll still remain in that area even if it's not specifically at that point yeah so you can move the protein around and it'll just the moving the magnetic field it'll move where that ball can be it won't ever be at the top of the ball <laughs> but it could be anywhere in the bottom yeah okay something kind of like that I'm taking a shot in the dark, kind of. Yeah, the- it's kind of like, it's it's that weird, like, there's not great, quantum is fun, but also, like, it's notoriously super hard because, like, you don't have, like, a classical mechanical, uh, like, one-to-one analogy for it. It just kind of is and is weird. So it's, like, it's in all of these places at once, but you got the magnetic field and it pushes it more to the right. Yeah. And then... Probably could have done this earlier. What does quantum mean? Yeah. Because I, like, you always hear it like, oh, quantum mechanics and quantum physics. Like, you hear it as this kind of like throw around, this is difficult, and then we're not going to touch on it. So, yeah. what does that mean? And why quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and then quantum biology, like, kind of mm-hmm. caught that earlier? Like, yeah. What does putting that prefix in front of it do to the word? Yeah, so quantum is kind of an indicator of, like, things being quantized. So what that means is, like, um, you know how, like, in, like, your gen physics classes, you, like, if you you have, like, um, some set energy, and you can kind of just have it, like, go increasing or decreasing in, like, a very, like, linear, continuous fashion. If you like, um, it's like an equation of the dome, I guess. Like, if you 
uh, let's do like energy and temperature, I guess. If you have, if you're like boiling a pot of water and you input more heat, you're putting more energy into that water and then it boils. You can do that and it's like, it starts at one point and it just continuously goes up and up and up kind of indefinitely. Yeah. That only works on like a large scale though. Yeah. When you get really, really small. So on the particle level and like kind of molecular level in a sense, but like mostly talking about like electrons, protons, neutrons, like atomic level. Um, the energy levels that you are at become discrete. So instead of having that kind of continuous line of like, yep, I can go from like 1 to 1.1 to 1.2 to whatever, you have discrete integer values. So you can have energy of 1 or energy of 2 or energy of 3. You can't have energy of 1.1. That doesn't work. Okay. You have like these kind of, you can think of it as like a ladder, I guess. You have to go from one step to the next. You can't go in between. And there's like a threshold. Like you either have enough energy to move up. We call these like excited states if you talk about electrons. Okay. Like where it kind of jumps up. It's higher energy and it's doing funky things because of it. So quantum just inherently means that like we're not talking about a continuous like energy like situation anymore. Now anything that becomes more energetic or less energetic, it has to do these like integer stepwise type deal. Yeah. So quantities mm -hmm. versus ranges. Yeah. Hmm. Never actually understood that. So that makes that makes a lot of sense to me, at least. Yeah. So it's all talking about like particle level. So then like if we talk quantum mechanics is just like the mechanics that dictate like these weird quantized energies and like how that all works and like it's super cool uh again it was my favorite class to take uh and then i friends with a bunch of physicists like my boyfriend is theory so like we get to talk about it a lot which is fun um but then like if you talk about quantum chemistry we tend to talk very specifically about like the quantum mechanics inherent in molecules and how that changes things um, so personally, this is a hot, this is not actually that hot of a take, I think, but it's a hot take to people who don't get to take quantum. Um, I think quantum mechanics is the best way to understand spectroscopy and instrumentation. Can you explain what's spectroscopy? Yes, yes. I can. So, um. <laughs> I think I know the words you just said. Yeah. So in chemistry, like we, uh we need to use instruments in order to get information essentially like you can some of it is just doing reactions and making stuff but unless you actually check that the stuff you made is correct um i'm not gonna believe you yeah um you need like confirmation in order to publish um and so spectroscopy is like a method of um it's like a class of instrument of instruments so if you i think most people that have taken general chemistry would have done uh uv vis spectroscopy where you've got like your sample and you shine a light through it and you check how much light it can absorb and based off of that you can kind of see like what its concentration of stuff is in or stuff you've got or like what it is yeah because yeah. different like lysines and like different amino acids will have different absorbances which causes it to fluoresce at different levels. Yeah. And then, like, again, if you've got more stuff, it 
will absorb more light and so you'll get a higher absorbance versus if you have less stuff then it will absorb less and kind of from that if you don't know the concentration of stuff you've got in your sample like how much there is you can use that to check um with forms of spectroscopy like ir spectroscopy which is very similar as uv vis but uh with uv vis we are using like the ultraviolet and visible range mm -hmm. in the ir range that's the infrared range we're using infrared light wow wow um and i think understanding quantum helps you understand that a lot better because like with like each wavelength will be like yeah with um kind of mathematically and also just actually i guess uh energy and wavelengths are kind of inverse so if you have a bigger wavelength you get less energy but if you have a smaller wavelength you get more energy and kind of um in the infrared range when you like expose molecules to infrared light you get a lot of cool vibrational energy because there's like different kind of kinds of energy you can have like electronic transitions which are just like electrons moving up and down you can have a vibrational transitions which are like um in a molecule like the bonds aren't rigid they move around by understanding that like these vibrational energy levels are quantized and like they're that discrete like one two or well actually it's vibrational so this won't mean anything but it's zero one two um like you can kind of start to read what those spectrums are and what they're actually telling you a lot better so from remember from ir spectrometry it's basically just like a big old curve with different peaks and valleys that will inform you what you're seeing yeah and so the number of because it's quantized you can actually you go stepwise each for each level you can tell what's there yeah, because you um, IR is a great way to find out what bonds you have in your molecule because each of them are going to vibrate at a different energy. And so we measure it as like percent transmittance, so like how much light goes through it versus like the energy that your molecules are wiggling at. And then like from those peaks, you can say, oh, I've got an oxygen-hydrogen bond because it's got this much vibrational energy and like so on. And I know it's not... It's obviously not the same because it's music, but it's kind of like how if you pluck an E string, you're going to get E because that's the that's how that bond, that's how that chord is tuned. And then so a carbon to oxygen bond will always be plucked the same frequency. And that's different from the A string, which will be uh, nitrogen, oxygen, whatever. Exactly. Because you have different like bond distances you have different bond strengths depending on what atoms you have on either side and they're different how like polar they are how like electronegative how much do they want these electrons more than the other one there'll be like um a in unequal distribution on the bonds and it, it's it's very cool it's really powerful stuff i've been thinking a lot about uh chemists before like the 40s that had to just make new molecules without instrumentation, I'd rather be dead. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare. You will simply pass away? You will simply pass away. Yeah. And do you want to talk about that cool gallium thing? Because now you're talking about like synthesizing, and I'm just, 
do you know the the Dmitri Mendeleev story about gallium? I don't think so. So Dmitri Mendeleev is uh, obviously the kind of the founder of the periodic table. He was, I think, Russian or Prussian. I don't remember. He was a chemist that basically categorized all of the elements that we that we now know as the periodic table. But there were a lot of gaps because we didn't have all the elements back then. It was like 1800s or something like that. But because he of his like knowledge of bonds, electron numbers, he essentially left gaps in the periodic table because he's like, okay, I know something is going to be here. And because I think uh, gallium is right by aluminum, he's like, okay, I know this is going to have a high melting point. It's going to be like reflective and he basically like perfectly described what gallium was going to be and then when they found it in a french cave however many years later they're just like oh there's still a spot on the periodic table for this exactly how it's supposed to be and that's just like a that's so cool it's such a cool thing like his knowledge of what is going on and just the everything he knew about chemistry everything he knew everything he knew about chemistry allowed him to make that prediction and understand how it was going to work in the physical world, which is just so cool to me. Just mind-blowingly brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, your gallium story. Sorry. My gallium kind of... story. No, I like that. Yeah. This it's, is cool. It's one of my favorite. It's like one of my, it's a fun a- anecdote because it's just mm-hmm. like, that's crazy. Yeah. Love gallium. It's the best. Yeah. So um, there's a class of reactions that's, called oscillating reactions um and if you're listening to this 10 out of 10 recommend you look them up because they are so cool and sort of hard it's so much cooler to look at than it is to describe like verbally um but essentially they're like these reactions that are just at the center of equilibrium and so what happens is like they'll have some cool visual indicator of like going back and forth between like reactants and products because it's just right on that balance um and there's a really cool one with mercury like just a droplet of liquid mercury uh in sulfuric acid and an iron nail and essentially you've got this sort of like loop of a oxidation reduction act uh reaction in which like the surface of the mercury um gets oxidized i think by uh the sulfuric acid and then it gets reduced by the iron nail okay in a loop over and over like that and when you look at it um because you're getting like this uh oxidized mercury phase versus just regular mercury um this droplet like contracts into like a harder sphere and then relaxes into like a lump just over and over and it's called the mercury beating heart reaction because it looks like it's a beating heart interesting like a metal droplet um which is super cool it's a great demo uh because like it shows redox like very visually which you don't always get necessarily except for the fact that it's mercury and that's so bad for you well it's only it's only organic mercury that's bad for you it's a neurotoxin yeah and you shouldn't i mean listen you shouldn't touch it yeah it's not great though, because like what was getting, what was happening was a lot of ki- like this is like a something you oh. show to younger people to get them to understand redox initially, and it's like you the cleanup necessary to like make sure that like nobody touches it because like 
if you touch it on accident you have a cut on your hand that's that and you like just exposure to mercury isn't good you want to minimize that as much as possible rip abe lincoln rip abe lincoln he died from mercury poisoning well no no he didn't (laughs) that's not true he (laughs) markedly did not die from mercury poisoning um but he took uh, mercury uh, tablets as a medicine. Yeah, it was a cure for syphilis. It was a cure for a lot of things. It was a cure for a lot of things. Not a good one. So there's uh, quicksilver, which is like a, a mythical material. That's just mercury. That's just mercury. That's just mercury. <laughs> yeah. It's like we, as chemists, we're like trying to cut down on the amount of mercury that's just out and exposed to people we just, you can't keep doing this yeah um but both mercury and gallium are oh do you have a joke no i'm just still laughing at that yeah he died of mercury <laughs> he poisoning. died of mercury poisoning he, he very it's wild he passed away from mercury poisoning like the <laughs> right. second before he got shot right that's crazy he, shot. he took his mercury tablet right at the start of the show it was kicking in right before Dominic's booth yeah. came in yeah the problem is less death and more just like neurotoxin with like mad hatter syndrome type of deal yeah where like it blocks up your stuff and then you are experiencing not good mental health because there's metal in your brain isn't mad hatter i thought that was lead no mad hatter is mercury there's um oh it's i can't remember the name i just taught this to my kids that's terrible but there's like um mercury compound that like um it's like a nice black metal and so on top hats you like you can take that liquid and like use it to smooth out the brim of like the top hat to get like the curl of it yeah Uh, and it's like nice but then they'll lick their fingers and then like smooth it and then they got so much mercury in their body yeah yeah lead poisoning is from a ton of other things i'm i'm gonna guess lead yeah oh lead doesn't interesting but in like paint and like uh water pipes a lot oh god that's another fun anecdote again i don't know if it's true but um a big issue back in like uh founding father's times was uh pewter cookware which Mm -hmm. is a combination of lead and it's an it's an alloy that contains lead i forgot what the other metal is but essentially you have the lead uh if you have an acidic food like a tomato it would then break up that lead and get into your food system. And so the story goes that people were trying to kill George Washington. So <laughs> so they put tomatoes into his soup because they thought the tomatoes were poisonous. And they were right. And they, they were, were right. Absolutely the tomatoes and not lead. Not lead. That's really funny. Okay. I need to check the validity of that before I put that onto the world. No, but... that's fair. That's fair. That's funny, though. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, basically, like, for this demo, we substitute it with gallium because yeah. that's not going to give you uh, – it's not a neurotoxin. Um, and it's still, like, mercury and gallium are the only two, like, metals that are liquids at room temperature. Uh, so they're super fun. I shouldn't spread this around so you can maybe choose to delete but you can get some off of Amazon which I have and I have some in my apartment and it's great um, you can heat it up in your hand and then it's just like a cool sphere L- liquid metal yeah liquid metal um, side note pipetting liquid metal just feels so weird it's so cool though but um, 
you can get this reaction to work. What's interesting, though, is that you can also get the gallium to oscillate without the iron nail if you put in potassium dichromate, which is a very strong oxidizer. But if you remember, like, what I was saying with the loop with the mercury before, mm. like the way it works is that the mercury would get oxidized by the sulfuric acid and then it would get reduced by the iron nail. Mm-hmm. You are taking liquid gallium metal and you're putting it in sulfuric acid, which is an oxidizer. It'll form like gallium sulfate at the surface and like bunch up and then relax. Um, and then you're adding a strong oxidizer. So if you're getting that loop, what's being reduced? Um, and I noticed that gap in the papers because me and my friends like use this as a uh, semester like PCHEM lab project because it was cool. It was a physical chemistry reaction. I wanted to do oscillating reactions. Um, and as we read it, read more and more papers. I think I've read almost every gallium beating heart paper at this point um, and like watched YouTube videos. It was always like, yeah, and then you add the right amount and then it works. And it's like, okay, but how? What's the actual chemistry here? And the answer is nobody knows. So I'm working on figuring that out right now. Um, and it makes me so angry, but in like a good way, in like the... I want to know this so bad, but it's so hard to figure out. No one knows why. Why am I going to be the one that figures it out? But I'm going to be the one that figures it out. Yeah. yeah. And so once that happens, I'll, uh, we're gonna. the plan is to submit it to ACS for to get published, which is going to be really cool. So that's American Chemical Society, which is like big chemistry. like Research. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right now, I am pretty firmly in the literature stage again. Because uh, I need to figure out more of how they test like that kind of s- very thin surface, like chemistry. Because uh, so far, nothing that I'm 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 trying to figure out what's happening, and it's not working out as well as I wanted to. But yeah. it's super cool. That is very interesting because two oxidizers. Like, why are you working? What are you? Could it be that it's oxidizing the oxidized product? No, that wouldn't work because that I mean. You once you get rid of the the hydrogen, it's, it's gone. Yeah. Once you oxidize it, it's oxidized. My guess, and what I'm trying to test for now, I'm trying to figure out like my exact series of like experiments to run for this, um, is that like at the surface of the gallium, we've got our gallium sulfate. Not quite sure what yet. I've also like had to veer very much to the other project for a distinction thesis. Then I'll bounce back to this when it's done. Um, is that maybe something about the potassium dichromate is letting the gallium sulfate like f- sort of flake off or something or like get sort of uh, delaminated off of the surface. So then you have like an exposed layer of pure gallium. The gallium sulfate's gone now. Now it can like go like a bunch of the other way and then like shifting back. Ooh, I'm so sorry. I hit your mic. Uh, going back and forth kind of with that. Okay. But... But no way to know yet. Yeah. I have a couple things I want to try. Um, some of them are easier than others. Yeah. But I think the easiest thing I'm going to do is, like, uh, just take a laser and shine it through the product and see if stuff gets, like, bounced around. Because, like, if there's just loose gallium sulfate. In the solution. Light should scatter. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting, it's just getting dumb. I'm just kind of throwing stuff at the wall at this point a little bit. But it's cool. And 
when I get it, it'll be really exciting. That's research, baby. That's research, baby. Yeah, I mean, thank you. Like, genuinely, thank you for for coming on. It's I'm I'm excited for this because I just get to talk to smart people yeah. that know a lot of things that you just get to talk about, like all that stuff. Never really heard about about it before. Yeah, thanks for letting me talk about my funky soups. I <laughs> like it so much. I... Yeah, don't drink the soup for those don't at home. Don't drink the soup. Don't drink the soup, unless it's actual like veggie soup. But don't drink. Yeah, drink soup. actual soup. But if it's a if it's in a lab and you're supposed to wear goggles there, don't drink it. Don't also, drink it. just don't drink any cups of things that people have left out ever. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All right. Cool.